God bless you. Please be seated. Oh, man. Isn't it good to be in the kingdom of God? I love Esther 4.14. Esther 4.14 says, you're in the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, I love that verse. You're in the kingdom for such a time as this. That's wonderful. Every time I read it, I think of this. There's something better than that. What could be better than being in the kingdom for such a time as this? The kingdom being in us for such a time as this. Isn't that wonderful? The kingdom of God is in us for such a time as this. One time I was going to preach in a conference and uh, I'm, I'm preparing. I said, Lord, oh, Lord, what do you want me to speak on tonight? He said, I want you to speak on Acts chapter 29. I said, God, we got a problem. There ain't no Acts chapter 29. He said, that is the problem. You are Acts chapter 29. See, the book of Acts doesn't have an end to it. We are continuous Acts chapter 29. Isn't that something? I'm telling you, and God always saves the best for last. That's exactly right. I'm telling you guys, it's a privilege to be in the kingdom during these days. Have you heard the Bible? Matthew 13, 16 says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and blessed are your ears, for they hear. And in that same passage, it says, Many long to see what you see. Many deeply desire to hear what you hear. But to them, it was not permitted. Wow, we're a privileged people. We're a people that have had God unfurl revelation like no other generation. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, we ought to be walking in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be flooded with revelatory light. You'd have a grasp and a comprehension of the ways of God. That's what, don't you want that? I'll tell you, we need to not stumble in the dark, but leap in the light. We don't have to grope around as though we're blind. We have the light of God shining within us. Psalms 119 verse 130 says the entrance of his word gives light. It gives a grasp and a comprehension of the ways of God. We don't have to stumble in the dark, do we? No. We got the light and the lamp of the Lord. Uh, it, 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 Psalms 18 verse 28 says, He will light my lamp. And the lamp means your spirit. And He will flood our whole life with light. Don't you want your lamp lit? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, we're going to have a good time. Don't go to church and not have a good time. It's so sad a lot of people have just enough Jesus to be miserable. Really true. They have just enough Jesus to be miserable. Got him in the head, but not the heart. They don't enjoy living. Do you understand that? I want you to know, Psalm 16, 11 says, In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we need to get in his presence so his presence can get in us, and we'll have a happy life. God wants you to have a happy life. Jesus was the happiest man ever lived. I can prove it to you from the Bible. He said he was anointed with the oil of gladness far above his brother's. Jesus was the happiest man ever lived. Don't buy into those religious pictures of Jesus. Looks like he's anorexic. No, no. He was the happiest man ever lived on this planet. I know the Bible said he was acquainted with grief and a man of sorrow. But listen, he went past all that, didn't he? Said he saw the travail of his soul. He was satisfied. And the word satisfied is delighted. He was delighted to do what he did because of what it purchased for us. Anyway, let me talk to you a little bit about the books. I want you to really listen. These will help you. This one right here is called Empowered, Anointed for Action. Here's Daniel 11, 32b. Have you ever read Daniel 11, 32b? Daniel 11, 32b says, But the people that do know their God will display strength and take action. Said they'll do mighty exploits. So if the devil knows that, he knows the Word of God. He knows if you get to know God and God gets active in you, you're going to do mighty exploits for God. So what would the devil benefit by doing? Keeping you from knowing God. 
But the people that do know their God will display strength and take action. They'll do mighty exploits. So this book will help you to get to know who God is in you. Here's a verse. I dare you to believe it. It's Colossians 2, 9. Colossians 2, 9 says, All that God is, is in Christ. Well, look at Colossians 2, 10. All that Christ is, is in you. Wow. I dare you to start believing what the Bible says about you. The Bible says you're seated in heavenly places. The Bible says you're the head, not the tail. Above only, not beneath. The Bible has some great things to say for you. He says that you are blessed with all spiritual blessings. One time Jesus Christ walked up to me just like this and said, Bobby, I give you my personal permission to attempt to exaggerate what I'm about to do. So me being a preacher, I said to him, you know, I'll need a verse for that. And he said to me, no problem, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church, world without end. Amen. So you need to get this book. I really mean it. It will help you find out who you are and who God is in you. Oh, man. Boy, Heidi. The, my people are destroyed for lack of what? Knowledge. We need to know who God says we are. He said we're his ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now are we ambassadors for Christ. Not somewhere out in the future now. Now we're ambassadors for Christ. So I looked at the word ambassador. It means a senior representative sent out with authority. A senior representative sent out with authority. So I said, how much authority do we have? He said, the same amount as the one that sent me. Matthew 28.18 says, all power, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. God's rolling something out for us if we'll take it. God is unfurling for us something we need. He said he wants to put a mantle of, of uh, uh, Luke 10, 19 on us. Luke 10, 19 says, Behold! Uh, you ought to look up the word behold. It's the strongest word in human language for focus. Behold! I give you power to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and let them no eyes hurt you. Luke 10, 19. He's wanting to put that mantle on you. Here's what it literally says. Luke 10, 19 literally says in the Greek, I give you authority to stop the devil's ability. I give you authority to stop the devil's ability. What ability does the devil have? John 10, 10. The thief comes but for to steal, kill, decimate, and maim. And God says, I'm giving you authority to stop that. Matthew 18, 18. You'll find it in this book. Matthew 18, 18 says, Whatever heaven says is illegal, you have the privilege of saying it's illegal here and binding it. Amen. See, authority that, not, authority that is not displayed is not authority at all. It's theory. Remember Andy Griffin, the uh, uh, Andy Griffin show? Uh, Mayberry when they were, you know. Remember the, the, the deputy there? Barney Five. Barney had a gun but no bullet. That's where the church has been. Remember Barney had a gun but no bullet? Church, we, we need a loaded weapon, don't we? We need to really have the scriptures active and living in us. You'll read this, won't you? God bless you. Okay, so I hope you'll visit the book table. We'll sign your book after a while. And uh, listen, that'll be fun. The Lord told me, he said, Jesus Christ told me to sign books. That's honest to God truth. So it's amazing. You can't believe some things happen to the book table. 40-year-old guy, a man that was deaf for 40-something years, 80-something years old, been deaf half his life, and God healed him just like that. God grew a guy a finger, cut his finger off with a saw. Crazy stuff. It, it's, it's wild. So anyway, we'll, we'll give you a verse in your book. That'll be fun. Y'all doing okay? Yeah, you're doing better than you think. It's honest to God truth. Well, anyway, let me tell you about the other books, and we've got a message. Here's one, Legacy and Lineage Line. 
Legacy. Legacy is what you leave behind. Lineage line is who you leave behind. And they're inseparable. How you live your life will affect your descendants from now on. I, lo- I love what the Bible has to say about descendants. Here's one, Isaiah 44, 3 and 4. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, floods upon dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants, and they will spring up like willows by a riverbank. If you're hungry and thirsty and desperate for God, your children will flourish. Psalms 112, verse 2 said that Psalms 112, verse 2 said, The offspring of the upright will be mighty in the earth. You ought to study the whole 112th Psalm. It says the favor, the blessings, the anointing of God will get on your life in such a dimension it'll make your enemies so mad they'll gnash their teeth and walk away. That's better than a lawsuit. <laughs> they'll gnash their teeth. God, God. That's what it says. Psalms 112, verse, the whole 112th Psalm. The favor of God. Don't you like favor? I'll give you a verse about favor if you want it. If I was you, I'd take it. It's Psalms 84, 11. I'll give you present day favor, future glory, honor, splendor, and heavenly bliss. That's the verse in the Bible. Psalms 84, 11, I'll give you present day favor, future glory, honor, splendor, and heavenly bliss. Have you ever noticed this? The longer you walk with God, the better things become. We go from glory to glory. Remember that? 2 Corinthians 3, 18, as we behold him with an unveiled face, we go from glory to glory. Unveiled face. What, what would that mean? See, okay, I'll show you unveiled face. You ready? See, my hand could be like a veil. I can see you. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. I can see you, but I can't see you distinctly because my hand's in the way. If we behold Him, the risen Redeemer, with an unveiled face, we're changed from glory unto glory. So guess what the number one veil over the face of the church that's keeping us from seeing Jesus like He really is? Guess what it is? Number one veil over the face of the church see, keeping us from seeing the majesty of Jesus like we need to see Him is this, tradition. Only thing I've ever found the Bible more powerful than the Bible. Teaching for commandments, the traditions of men, and making the Word of God of none effect. Traditions. We want them gone, don't you? We want to see the Word of God and be like the Word of God, don't you think? Okay, anyway, I hope you'll read the book Legacy and Lineage Line. It'll help you. It'll show you how to break off ancestral curses off of your family. How to put your hands on your children and impart a patriot blessing unto them. That's one of the gifts we have. We're, we become priests to our family. We can speak a word of blessing and transfer the grace and the anointing of God upon their life. Covering them, really, with favor. The spoken word blessing, wow. You study about it in the Bible. You say, well, that was Old Testament. No, not according to Paul. Paul said, what happened to them happened to us to teach us how to live in the last days. That's what it says. Yeah. What's your name? That's right. <laughs> I got a friend who didn't call out people's names. I said, Sean, they know the name. Tell them something they don't know. I'll tell you a couple of things you don't know. God's been knocking at your heart, but uh, he's going to give you some dreams, and they'll, it'll settle all the things that he's been talking to you about. Remember, he said, I spoke to you and spoke to you. You didn't even think it was me, but in a dream, I'll see what I've been saying. Okay? Because he don't want to be manipulated, so God will do it through a dream. Okay? That's a good thing. It's pretty surprising how little we believe in dreams and how much the Bible puts into dreams. Baby Jesus would have been assassinated if it hadn't been for a dream. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I I want God to speak to me in any genre he wants to speak to me in. I really mean that. Remember, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. As he prayed, he fell into a trance and had a vision. Woo! That's pretty revelatory, isn't it? Prayer, trance, and vision. 
Wow. Anyway, so Legacy and Lineage Line. I hope you'll visit with that book. Then here's one. For 21 years, actually 22 now, on the Day of Atonement, we have a visitation from Jesus. He'll tell us some of the things that are going to happen in the future. I write in a book called The Shepherd's Rod. I wrote this in 2015 for 2016. And uh, I, I was taught, I, it's really mainly most of the prophetic words we give are for the body of Christ universal. Most of this is for our nation. And, boy, it's calling our nation. It's strategy for our nation not to squander the gift that God's given us. Do you believe God's given us kind of a reset button? And we do not want to squander what God has put in our hands. We're forging the future our grandchildren and their grandchildren will live in. So this book tells us how to do it. Our number one need, our number one need is to return back to our first love. I'm telling you that's our number one need. But I want you to know something. God will show you how to organize real prayer that changes the course of our nation. I'll just read a little back flip. Our nation, the United States of America, is in serious trouble. We're beyond human help. We are beyond mere human help. We must have divine intervention. We must repent and return to God. I'm telling you guys, you believe that's true? And in this book, we talk about how to turn back to God. 2 Corinthians 7, 14, If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked door, then I'll hear from heaven. Then I'll forgive their sin. Then I'll do what? Heal their land. Have you read Isaiah 48? Isaiah 49, it talks about, uh, Isaiah 48 verse 49 says, He will give us an anointing to heal our land from its present state of ruin. Okay, you'll read this, won't you? I believe you will. Good. I'm I'm about through talking about the books. Well, I am through, unless I have to talk about them some more. I I write books. Ah, that's something. One of my friends, Rick Jordan, I told him years ago, I said, Rick, I'm thinking about writing a book. He said, I suggest you read one first. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Friends like that. That's what it is. Yeah. Well, here's what we only talk about tonight. We only talk about what to do when you don't know what to do. And then what to do when you don't feel like doing nothing. Now, let's go, if you will. I'm sure you say, well, Bobby, I want to hear something real prophetic. You're going to hear something real prophetic. When you get in a dilemma where you don't know what to do, that's when God wants you to have prophetic ears to begin to hear new things. God loves to do new things. We're afraid of new things. We're skeptical and scared of change. But let's be honest. Many times, times the old things we're doing is dead and decaying, and it's no life in it. We need to get plugged into God's new things. Here, here we go. Second Chronicles 20. Starting with verse 1, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1, there's a king named Jehoshaphat. He gets a report. It could have been a text. I don't know. It wasn't a text. It, it wasn't even an email. I, I can remember, man, I remember when we had bag phones. Y'all remember that? You could bake a potato with them things, man. Good Lord. The bag phone. Man, you were something if you had a bag phone. And, but there's all kind of communication stuff now. But Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 says, and... Jehoshaphat hears a report that several mean, vicious armies have come into coalition and they're coming up against Jehoshaphat, who was king over the people of God. And I'll just read it to you for a little bit. It's, it's pretty, pretty intriguing. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Let me find it. I got stuff in my, I got stuff in my Bible. You got stuff in your Bible? 
Oh, man, it's pretty this. Here we go. After this, the Moabites and the Amorites and with them the Mennonites came up against Jehoshaphat to battle. Verse 2, it was told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude has come up against us from beyond the Dead Sea, from Edom, and behold, they're coming through Hazar, Tamar, which is in En Gedi. Verse, 30, verse 3, then, now, here's the king. He's got a bad report. He don't know what to do because look what happens. Verse 3, then Jehoshaphat feared and set himself determinedly to seek as his vital necessity the Lord and to proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah gathered together to help and ask help from the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord, yearning for him with all their desire. Now, I'll show you something that I think is a a stroke of genius. Verse 5, Jehoshaphat has got all the people together, said they've all gathered. They've gathered humbly and uh, sincerely to seek God with all their heart and all their, their, their being. And Jehoshaphat, verse 5, says he stands and he begins to do something. He begins to rehearse in the hearing of these distraught people how faithful God has been in the past. He says, oh God, are you not the God that drove out our enemies in front of us? Are you not the God that did this, this, and this, this? So he rehearsed how faithful God had been in the past to give them faith for an unsure future. That's genius, don't you think? Because we're talking about things they, they don't know what to do. It's, it's, it's a scary situation. These armies have come up to decimate them, destroy them, rob them, pillage everything they've got. So he said, we don't know what to do. And he begins, and Jehoshaphat stood, verse 5, in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the earth? Are in your hands are not their power so that none is able to stand against you? Did not you, you, O Lord our God, drive out the inhabitants? See, he's talking about how faithful God is been in the past to give these feet these fearful people faith for the unsure future and so they're going and going and still he's doing that all the way down through verse 12 and he says here it is oh lord god we don't know what to do against this great multitude that's come up against us but our eyes are on you what to do when you don't know what? Look at it in verse 12. Oh, Lord, our God, will you not execute judgment from them? For we have no might against this great company that has come up against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Wow. Verse 13. And all Judah, say all. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their children and their wives. I mean, the warriors are there, the wives are there, and the women and even the babies that suck the breast. Why? What they're facing is going to be cultural. It's going to be cultural around everybody. It's going to affect all segments of society. So they're all there. They're there in a holy atmosphere seeking God. And they've already cried, oh, God, we don't know what to do. We're focusing on you. Is that a good thing to do? Say yes. Isaiah 26.3 says something. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Trust in the Lord Jehovah, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting, never-failing strength. So when you don't know what to do, begin to cry out to God. Look how faithful he's been to you in the past. And then look to him for guidance, strategies for the future. So there they are. Oh, God, we don't know what to do. We're seeking you. And look what it, I love this verse. Then Look at verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jerel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benadiah, and he goes, he tells who they are. And the prophet receives a word from God because the people desperately need guidance. Look there at verse 15. And the prophet stands now. And I like this. You can hear him kind of clear. So <clears throat> look what he says. And he said, listen, all you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Je- Jehoshaphat, the Lord says this to you. 
Be not afraid of this or dismayed at this great multitude. For this battle is not yours, but it's God's. Then he says, tomorrow, tomorrow, go out against them. Behold, they will be coming up through the scent of Zen. And you will find them in the end of the ravine where the wilderness Jeruel. He said, yep, you're going to have to confront them. But I want to show you something now. I told you, when you get in a desperate situation, focus on God. Listen intently to what he's going to say to you. Because he'll show you new ways. Say new things. Now hold your, hold your finger there. Because they go, they, he's going to get some strategy. This prophet, this prophet is fixing to give them strategy that no one in the whole world has heard anything like it. Here's what he says. He said, yeah, they're coming. You're going to go out and face them. And here's the deal. Don't send the soldiers. Send the singers. Never in the history of humanity. Never. In the annals of humanity had there been a war fought like that. Never. Never. Say new thing. You know what I'd have said if I'd have been there? I'd have raised my hand. I'd said, second opinion. That's why I'd wanted some more counsel, wouldn't you? Why? Because, I mean, everything's at stake here. These are vicious armies. Never, no, no history about any time sending out the singers to fight a battle. Never. But God likes to do new things. Just to be quite honest, he'll never do the new thing without first telling the prophet what he's going to do. That's what it says. Amos 3, 7. Amos 3, 7 says, Absolutely, surely, I'll not do a single thing without first revealing what I'm going to do to my servants, the prophets. The Bible says, Trust the Lord, you'll be established, believe His prophets, and you'll what? Prosper. That means live at God's highest point of level for your life. It's in that passage we're going to read in a moment. But there they are. Don't send the soldiers. Send the singers. Wow. I'll show you, I'll show you about God liking to do new things. Isaiah 48, verse 6. You got it? Can you find it? Isaiah 48, verse 6. This is a real important verse, I think. Isaiah 48, verse 6. Let me find it. I'm looking. Isaiah 48, verse 6. And he's talking about, I'm doing a new thing. Isaiah 48, 6. Verse 6 says, You've heard these things foretold. Now you see it fulfilled. And will you not bear witness to it? I have shown you specified new things from this time forth, even hidden things kept in reserve, which you not you have not known. They, hidden things kept in reserve, which you have not known. They are called into being by the prophetic word. And not long ago and before today, you've never heard of it, unless you would say, ha, ah, already knew that. Isn't that cool? You can see it. God wants to do new things. And so he's given them a new thing. And then we're back over there to Second Chronicles. Look, look what happens. It's pretty wild. The, the, the king stands up and he's saying, we, we need to do this. Uh, we need to follow what the prophet has said, da-da-da-da. And he's telling them. And then verse 20 says, And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, uh, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Ju- Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe, his, believe and remain steadfast to his prophets, and you shall prosper. And they went out singing the hymn of the Lord, singing how great gracious God is and how marvelous God is. And it says, God set an ambushment. Now, I've studied that in every Hebrew word I could find. And God set an ambushment. Now, I, you, you, there's no way you can verbalize what all that is, but it sure does work. It said, when they did what God told them to do, going out singing, it said, God set an ambushment. The enemy went crazy. These alien armies went crazy, jerked out their swords, killed one another, and then killed themselves. That's what it says. Killed every one of them. Kill the enemy and then kill themselves. 
God's people over there never broke a sweat. Our God is an awesome God. Ooh, ooh. Some, yeah. Enemy just frailing themselves. Isn't that crazy? You, you can read it. That's pretty wild, isn't it? said it took the people of God three days to pick up all the bounty and the spoils. So what to do when you don't know what to do? Be attentive to God's new thing. Do like they did. Seek the Lord. Get serious. Call a fast. Get holy. Seeking God with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13 said, You'll find me when you search for me and seek for me with all your heart. So that's what they were doing. And they found him. Prophet stood up and said, Here's what we're going to do. Wow. Even though it was weird and way out, it worked. You find some things in the Bible that it's the weirdest strategy for winning that you've ever heard. You remember in, in the Bible, there's a guy named Jonathan. It says Jonathan and his armor bearer, they had one sword among them. And said they was in a little kind of a caddy comb down there. And above them on the mountainside was a garrison of the Philistines. And here's the Philistines were bad, bad to the bone, armed to the teeth, man. And here's Jonathan and his armor bearer with one sword. And Jonathan's armor bearer is down there. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, hey, I got a plan. What is it? Here's my plan. We're going to step out of this cave. We're going to step out of this cave. We're going to look up there at those Philistines and we're going to go, hey, you. Yeah, you. If they say, come up here, we want to show you something. We know we got them. Good God. Worst battle plan I ever heard in my life. Don't you think? But I'll say, here's what the armor bearer said. Whatever God's put in your heart, I'm with you. You get a church load of people like that, you'll change this whole area. I tell you, you let a pastor come up with a plan like that, they'd be texting elders. Pastor's lost his mind. We've got to have a meeting. That's, you know it's true. But here we go. Armor bearer said, whatever God's put in your heart, I'm with you. And it says that they stepped out from under the little catacomb thing. And they go, hey, you! Yeah, you! They said, hey, you boys, come up here. we got something to show you. They said, we got them. And here's what your Bible said. It says, they crawled, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they crawled on their hands and their knees up the cliff and said when they got there, the enemy would fall over and they'd slay them. They killed so many so rapid till the rest of them took off running till it started a dust cloud and King Saul and the rest of the army was a quarter of a mile away hiding in some bushes and they got rejuvenated to fight in the fight. See, one or two can change the whole destiny of a nation. Do you see that? Pretty crazy, isn't it? Wow. Now, I was a street fighter. Worst position you can be in fighting is on your hands and your knees. Somebody's going to kick you in the chin or somewhere. But they climbed up. Isn't that something? God does strange strategies. Say it, new things. We got to be willing to try the new things. Yeah, you say, oh, now. Okay, what to do when you don't know what to do? Do like... Do like Hezekiah and these guys did, uh, Jehoshaphat and these guys did. Put your focus on God. Then pray and seek God. Surrender to God's way and His will. And He'll show you how to get out of the situation. You may say, well, now listen, Bobby. I, I, I'm, I'm cut of a little different cloth. I never get in a circumstance where I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, you're deceived and you're just really dumb. I want to show you a verse. You want to see it? Yes, Bobby. That's my Morgan Freeman voice. Does it sound okay? What do you think? It's going to be okay, okay. Here's your verse. Psalms 107, verse 23. Psalms 107, verse 23. 
we're introduced to some seafaring sailors. These men that do business in great waters. Psalms 107 verse 23. These men that do business in great waters, they see the works of the Lord because He raises up the stormy winds. He lifts up the waves as high as the heavens and it drops the waves as low as in depths. And it says, these seasoned sailors, these men that do business in great waters, it says they stagger to and fro on the ship that's going up and down. It says... They're at their wit's end. What does that mean? It means they've expended, expired, expelled all of their expertise. Nothing's working. They've done everything they were trained to do to no, no avail. They're at the end of the rope. They're at their wit's end. Let me say to you, that's a journey every one of us have to take. God himself started this storm. The Lord raised up the stormy winds. That's what it says in your Bible. Psalms 107, verse 23, 24. The Lord raised up the stormy winds. Was he trying to hurt the boys? No. Trying to get them to a point of dependence on him. They're staggering to and fro like drunken men. They're at their wits end. Then, T-H-E-N, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And the Lord hears them and brings them out of all their distresses. Oh, that man would praise God for his goodness. You ought to read it. Can y'all put that up there? They probably could if they wanted to. But anyway, it's there. You can look at it. At their wit's end. You ever been there? I guarantee you, God will get you there. But what you got to do now is do like these boys did. They trusted. They cried out, oh, God. And when God came to help them, and God got them out, and then they praised God for it. They didn't dust their hands off and say, look what we did. I believe if we'd give God more glory, he'd give us more power, don't you think? I think so. I really, okay, what to do when you don't know what to do. So we've seen Jehoshaphat and those guys, they didn't know what to do. Now we've seen the sailors, they thought they knew what to do, but then they got in a circumstance, situation. It was too big for them, too bad for them. Oh, man. So that's, that's some of the things, what to do when you don't know what to do. Here's one in the New Testament. Do you want it? Yes. Here it is. Acts chapter 27, verse 21. Acts chapter 27, verse 21. Remember Paul, the preacher, the apostle, was put on a boat. And he told them, we shouldn't sail on this thing. It's not a good time to sail. And they had some merchandise on the ship. And the guy that had the merchandise said, this preacher don't know what he's talking about. It's okay to sail. He didn't care about safety. He cared about loot. So they put Paul on the boat, remember? And he said they started around the little island. And then there was a mighty wind came of hurricane proportion. It said there was no, I like the King James, and no small tempest lay upon us. That's what it says, no small tempest. That means a hell of a storm. Big storm on them. 14 days, 14 nights. They couldn't see the sun, couldn't see the stars. And it says, all hope. I'm screaming. All hope. That we would be spared was gone. What in the world are you going to tell a people that have no hope? It says all hope. Every iota of hope. Every iota of hope that they'd be spared was gone. Dissipated, gone. What are you going to say to a hopeless people? You better learn this message. If anything's plaguing your people, Pastor, it's hopelessness. I don't care what kind of smile and facade they put on inside of their heart. They're crying out, what are we doing? Where are we going? I need guidance. So what are you going to say to a people that has no hope? All hope that we'd be spared was gone. Acts 27, 21. Here's what it says Paul did. He said, after a long absence, Paul stood on the deck of that ship, still tossing, flowing like this. He says... I told you we shouldn't sell. And then he says, here's his message to him. 
Cheer up. Cheer up. There stood by me this night the angel of the Lord, whose I am and whose I serve. So in the middle of a big mess, when people's heart was so fearful and so filled with dread, he said, cheer up. God's going to get us out of this. You ought to study that pretty close. Because it says some of the guys were going to jump in the little lifeboat and cut it away and sneak off. You better tell people when the church gets in trouble, the only ones that are going to really be saved are those that stay aboard. See, when the church gets in trouble, a lot of times people jump ship. You better stay on board if you're going to be saved. Said so the only ones people that's going to be saved is those that stays on board. Remember, they were about to cut. The, they were going to sneak off and. Yeah, I, I, you know, I pastored for 26 and a half years. Sheep bite is something. Have you ever figured out how you remember it says wolves in sheep's clothing? The pretending Christians are inside the church. How do you ferret them out? How do you how do you find out who's a wolf in sheep's clothing? I finally figured it out after all these years. Wolves can't live on sheep food. You just feed the sheep and pretty soon the wolves, you know what I mean? So you just give them out the word of God. Wolves can't live on sheep food. Eh, you'll get that. Wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, they get out of the car and they put the little sheep thing and tuck their tail under. Aren't you glad God knows all about everybody? I do. Well, there's a lot of stuff there. I like that Acts chapter 27. All hope that we'd be spared was gone. And then Paul stands there and he says, There stood by me this night the angel of the Lord's, whose I am. And he gave him a positive message. If you want to see that active, look at Joel Osteen. Fastest growing church in the history of America is Joel Osteen. I preached for, preach for his dad. Joel was 17 running in camera, skinny little kid. He's still skinny. He's just not a little kid any longer. But he, he can press 300 pounds. That ain't bad. So he's more than curls, you know what I mean? Really, really. But he's learned the secret of giving people a positive message in the middle of a big mess. People need to hear it. Now, Paul could have stood there and go, Good God, we're in a storm. Well, any idiot could see that. You know, listen, the world knows that they need guidance and direction and strategy. You see what we're talking about? Hey, I hope so. What to do when you don't know what to do? <sighs> So there's a whole bunch of these ideas. But this morning, I talked about hold on to hope. What a difference one day can make. And I gave one illustration of the nude rude dude that woke up a maniac living in a tomb and went to bed a missionary. That, that's a big change, isn't it? Mark chapter 5. Now, I'm going to show you another one of what a difference a day can make. You want to? Uh, you have to go to uh, uh, 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. King David, remember King David? He's fought his battles. The chapter before that in uh, 2 Samuel verse chapter 8 says, And David had finished most of his battles, and they had a time of, of respite sort of. He had finished all the battles, all the campaigns, and they kind of had a time to catch his breath. And then you find out in Second Samuel 9, 1, it says that David says, Wait a minute, oh my. I have made a covenant and a promise to Jonathan that I would show him and his descendants favor and kindness, and I've been negligent. Isn't that something? Have you ever been so busy you forgot some of the promises and covenants you made? That's what happened to David. Oh, my God. I promised Jonathan I'd show his descendants favor and kindness all my life, but I've not done it. So David says to Ziba, Ziba, he said, Ziba, you look and find, does Jonathan have any descendants? Is there anybody left of the household of Saul that I could show them kindness and favor for Jonathan's sake? And Ziba, he said, yeah, yeah, there was. Uh, Jonathan had a little boy. 
But when he was five years old and word came back to the village where they lived that Saul had been killed, his grandfather, and that Jonathan, his father, had been killed, it says that a nurse picked up the five-year-old little prince and apparently started fleeing with him. And somehow there was an accident. It doesn't say exactly. But somehow the little prince was dropped, fell on or something because it says he was crippled in his legs. The Bible you use says was lame in his feet. It's the strongest word in human language for paralytic. His neck's broke. He's, his legs are worthless from that moment on. Five-year-old little prince. That's the grandson of King Saul. The son of jo- uh, Jonathan. And now, where is he at? King David is supposed to be showing him kindness and favor. We're talking about what a difference one day can make. Second Samuel 9 now. Ziba says, yeah, there's a kid. He's crippled. And so here's what King David says. Go find him. Go find him now. And Ziba said, yeah, I'll tell you where he's living. He's living down in Lodibar. Say Lodibar. Lodibar. Now listen to me. Nobody in their right mind would live in Lodibar. Nobody in their right mind would live in Lodibar. Lodibar is a Hebrew word that means dry, barren, uninhabitable. Now, I'll tell you people who lived in Lodibar. Thugs, gangsters, and outlaws, runaways. And here's a little crippled prince living in a rag shack in Lodibar with his uncle Malkar. Old Uncle Malkar. I dare you research his name. Research his name in the Hebrew, Malkar. Salesman. But if I, had to, if I had to translate it today in our natural vocabulary, we'd say shyster, thug, gangster. Salesman. If you look at it in the Hebrew, it says salesman, but he sells his daughter to caravans as they travel by. Pimp. That's the uncle raising this little crippled prince in a rag shack in a no man's land called Lodibar. I'm sure every morning he said to the little crippled prince, Hey boy, if it wasn't for me, if I wasn't a benefactor for you, that King David back there in Jerusalem, he'd come get you, he'd drag your crippled body to the palace, he'd hang you off the gate, slit your throat, and let the birds eat your eyes. But I'm your benefactor. I'm sure that's all that little kid heard. Theologians don't know how long Mephibosheth stayed in Lodibar. I'll tell you, however long it was, was too long. See, I know Christians just like Mephibosheth. Living in dry, barren places because somebody mishandled them. See, some nurse mishandled the little prince. Doesn't say what happened, dropped him and crippled him. All these people can walk about, but they're crippled spiritually, aren't they? But we got a king that has a different heart. See, most kings back then, when they took over reign, they'd kill every descendant of the prior dynasty. But not David. He's a man after God's heart. So now he's in a redemptive sense, sent to get Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth means dispeller, dispenser, destroyer of shame. It's, the most, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing. He's lived there with this abusive uncle. Ziba is sent from King David to Lodivar. Let's put ourselves there in that rag shack. Hot, barren, desert land. Nobody there but thugs and crooks. They look across a barren desert. Sun waves, heat waves. There's a dust cloud. Good God. Who'd be coming? Somebody goes, oh, Lord. That's the king's flag. Entourage rides up. Ziba with the king's chariot. Somebody says, 
Mephibosheth live here? In a trembling voice. Yes. They said, bring him out. Now, how would you like to be Mephibosheth? If all you've ever heard is, if that king ever finds you, he's going to slit your throat, desecrate your body upon the gate. He, and, and Mephibosheth crippled. He has to crawl in the dust. Legs are worthless. You need to see him. Some theologians think he might have lived in Lodibar 12 years, 18 years, and some up to even 32 years. However long it was, it's too long. There he comes out, crawling out. Mephibosheth, yeah, they said, pick him up, put him in the chariot. And he brings, brings him back to King David's palace out of Lodibar. Watch this. Never. Have you ever read Protocol when you approach a king? No king ever got up off his throne to greet a visitor. That is absolutely unheard of in protocol. A king does not get up off his throne to greet a visitor. They have to come in with pomp and protocol, don't they? But when Mephibosheth gets there, King David gets up off his throne, greets him all out of the palace even. And here's what it says. It says when he says, Mephibosheth. I'll show you the shame that's on Mephibosheth's life. With his face in the dust, it says in your Bible, with his face in the dust, he cried out, Who, who am I, such a dead dog, that you would invite me? In the Jewish culture, you can't find a lower estimation of yourself than a dead dog. That's, a, that's the lowest they'll ever come. A dead dog. Who am I, who am I, that you would greet me such a dead dog? And King, King David says to Mephibosheth, Come. I'm going to show you kindness and favor and the mercies of God for your dad's sake. And says, he told Ziba, Ziba, you bring him in and you set him at my table. He'll eat bread at my table all the days of his life. And then King David does something unimaginable. Greatest display of restoration I can find in the scriptures. Here's what King David says to Ziba. Ziba had uh, 15 sons and 19 servants. He says, Ziba, you and your 15 sons and your 19 servants, I want you to serve Mephibosheth the rest of his life, and I want you to give him back everything that was his grandfather's and everything that was his father's and all the bounty that should have been gathered from the time he's been gone. You can't find a greater restoration than that. Joel 2.25 screams, I will restore, declares the Lord. And there's evidence of it right there. Greatest display of restoration you've ever seen. Now watch this. What a difference one day can make. This crippled boy woke up in a rag shack in Lodibar. He goes to bed in the king's palace. That's quite a change, don't you think? From a rag shack to sleeping in the king's palace. I don't know about you. I'd have loved to have been there that night and pulled the banquet door open. There's all of David's royal sons. And there's a new one. Who said why, it's Mephibosheth. You, you can't even tell he's crippled. Where's his crippled legs? Under the table. You believe God has us under the table, the table of grace? Yes. All of our flaws are covered. Yes, thank God for that. Aren't, aren't you glad that God don't leave us in Lodi Bar? Yes. That we got a covenant-cutting God? Yeah, I'll tell you. Jesus saw the travail of his soul. He cut a covenant with his father. That's why you and I are headed to heaven, not hell. God is a covenant-keeping God. Aren't you glad? Yeah. Say yes. But what a difference one day can make. You want one more of those? How, how much time y'all got? My plane don't leak till in the morning. So you're doing good?
good. God bless you. Here's you another one about what a difference one day can make. You want to see it? You have to go all the way to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. It talks about the worst famine ever mentioned in human history. The biggest, most severe famine ever mentioned in human history. You find it in 2 Kings chapter 6. Verse 24, it says, we find that uh, King uh, Ben-Hadad has come up against the, the city of Samaria and shut up all the food routes. We, 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 we got time. We got time. Let, let's look at it. Y'all want to? Yes. Okay, that'll be good. You talked me into it. No. Okay, let me get over here to it. Here we are. We're in Second Kings chapter 6 now. And verse 24 says, uh, After this, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered his whole army and went up against and besieged Samaria, the city of, that's where the people of God were. And a great famine came into Samaria. And they besieged it unto a donkey head was sold for eight shekels of silver. That means like something like 16 pounds of silver. And a little cab of dove, dove dung. And it's pretty wild. Verse 26. Very, very... Uh, if it wasn't in this Bible, I'd never believe the severity of this famine. Worst famine mentioned in human history. And I'll show it to you in just one second. The king, the king of Israel, was passing up on the wall. And a woman cried to him, help, help me, king. I need your help. And the king, look what he said. He said, oh, for if he, if God does not help you, there's no help. The, Lord, the Lord's the only one that can help. There's no food in the pantry. There's no food. There's no oil in the wine. He said, I, I can't, I don't have any way to help you. And he said, we're out of any, any kind of food. Only help could come from God. Verse 28. And the king, she's just beside herself. This woman screaming, panting. Just, you never heard anything like it. And, and look, look at verse 28. And the king said to her, what ails you? This is unbelievable. If it wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. And she answered and said, this woman, this woman said to me, give your son so we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. Ooh. Verse 29. So we boiled my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give your son so we may eat him. But she's hidden her son. You can't find a worse famine than that. When you're cannibalizing your own, the fruit of your own body. No famine could be greater than that. Can you, do you hear the brutality of this? This woman, she said, let's eat your baby today and we'll eat my baby tomorrow. So we boiled my son. My mind won't even go there. This is the holy word of God. You read in the book of Leviticus, one of the curses God will put on you, you get away from, you'll, you'll consume, you'll cannibalize your own children's flesh. They got, they under such judgment. Isn't that something? Wow. Oh, Lord, I, I can't believe it. So we boil my son. Now she's hit hers. The king said when he heard it, look what he did. He ripped his robe. And underneath his robe, they saw sackcloth. That shows a great sign of remorse and humility. Deep, sincere reverence of God. The king did. Wow. Biggest famine in, in human history. It's just pretty bad. <sighs> Pretty bad. Mm. Verse 30 says, When the king heard this woman's words, he rent his clothes. And as he went up on the wall, the people looked, and behold, he wore sackcloth. Now, I want you to skip over to chapter 7, verse 1. It starts with the English word. You'll have to help me. T-H-E-N. T-H-E-N. Then, that means right in the middle of the famine. Then, right in the middle of the famine. Then, 
the prophet Elisha, looks what he says. Then the prophet Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a measure of fine flour will be sold for almost a penny, and there will be more food in this village than you could imagine. Good Lord. Now, anybody prophesy when the bread trucks back up. This is right in the midst of the biggest famine mentioned in human history. The prophet stands up and said, About this time tomorrow, you'll have more food here than you can imagine. They'll be basically giving it away. Now, you never get a positive word without somebody trying to steal it from you. So there was a counselor in whom the king listened to. And here's what the counselor said. Don't believe it. Even if God ripped open heaven, that couldn't happen. So here's what the prophet says to the gainsayer. Okay, bud, you'll see it, but you won't get to participate. Wow. Have you ever got a promise from God? And before you got out of the church, somebody said, oh, well, you know, that, that probably won't happen. Try to talk you away from the promises and provisions of God. That's what the devil does, doesn't he? Tries to get to sow doubt in your life. Now, they tell us I write books, and they tell us when you preach, keep your story flowing. Watch this. We're about to hit a big bump. We've just had Elisha sing, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, uh, the flower be sold for nearly a few pennies, and you'll eat more food here than you can imagine. Next one, verse. Watch this. Number two. That's where the king, the counselor says. The counselor said, no way. It's not going to happen. And then we get to verse three. Now, four men who were lepers were laying outside the city gate. Wait! I don't want to hear about four sick dudes. I want to know who's bringing the groceries, don't you? Where did these four sick guys laying outside the gate come in? We're in the middle of a famine. I want the bread trucks. The camels coming in loaded down with goods. I don't want to hear about four sick dudes laying outside the gate. Now, there are four lepers laying outside the gate. Outside the gate means something. Advanced leprosy. So advanced it had to be exercised out of the village. And have you seen advanced leprosy? Pieces fall off. Fingers, nose, ears. These guys are in advanced leprosy. Laying in a puss pool. I've named one of them Limping Larry. Yeah, you're half the man you used to be. Yeah, you're coming apart at the seams, you know. There they are. Four of them laying out there. But I like those boys. Here's what happened to them. They're laying out there in the midst of the biggest famine outside of the gate. Couldn't even be inside the city. And these four guys said, you know, you know, we need change. If we lay here, we're going to die. If we get up and go back in Samaria, we're going to starve. If we get up and go out and challenge the enemy, the worst they could do is kill us. Have you figured it out? We don't get out of this alive. Have you figured it out? None of us get out of this alive. We need to make our time on this planet count. So they said, if we lay here, we die. Go in there, we starve. Our only option is to go out and challenge the unchangeable, unseen future. So it says these four lepers start out at twilight. Four lepers. Limping Larry and the other. As weak as you can get. And it says when they get to the army camp, it's evacuated. Not a single soldier there, but all the goods are there. It says gold and silver in abundance, clothing, camels, food, extravagant food, great piles of riches. Everything was there except the soldiers. They've hightailed it. Good Lord. How could four limping lepers scare off a whole army? It says here because when they went out, God sent a sound before them, a sound of 
horses and chariots, shields, swords. He sent out the sound of a mighty army in front of four limping lepers and scared the whole enemy camp away. Here they come, these four limping lepers. There's roasted lamb. They got lamb grease dripping down both sides of the cheek. They're gorging themselves, the Bible said. It says they're taking silver and gold and carrying it out by the armloads, hiding it in the tents. Oh, raiment and clothing and everything. Then all of a sudden they go, Whoop, wait a minute, wait. This can't be just for us. What about our brothers back there in Samaria? Let me ask you this, Spirit-filled church. What about us? What about the men and women in churches that don't even believe in the Holy Ghost? Starving, famine, desperate for food and nourishment. And here we are wallowing in great banquets of God. So those, those lepers teach us a lesson. They said, if we do this, it's not going to be well for us. Let's go back and get those hungry, desperate people and let them know food's here. They go back to the gate. Hey, it's out there. Everything we need. There's that counselor again. He says to the king, don't do it. They just want you to open the gate. Yeah, like you've got something they need. Finally, the king gets a little wisdom. He says, let's put some guys on some horses right out there and find out if it's real. Sure enough, it was real. All the food was free. Everything was there, just like the leper said. So they brought it back to the gate. Remember the story? And they opened the gate, and oh, man, there's a tragedy. There's such a zeal and the hunger and the desperation for the food. The people rushed forward. Some poor souls trampled. Who was it? It's that guy that said, no way. Yeah, you'll see it, but you won't get to participate in it. Wow. Yeah, so watch this. They woke up in the biggest famine mentioned in human history and go to bed in a feast. What a difference one day makes. So you and I have to learn how to hold on to hope. Never give in to despair. If we can get help and substance from poor, weak lepers, what about us? Don't you think we need to be energized and recharged? Yeah. I do. I do. So we've talked about what to do when you don't know what to do. We talked about uh, what a difference one day can make. And then remember I told you what to do when you don't feel like doing nothing. You ever, you ever felt like doing nothing? Here it is. 1 Samuel 30, it says, When David comes back to Ziglag, David was a mighty warrior. He led an elite army that was David's army. So David and his soldiers come back to Ziglag. And it says, you know, I've flown all night long to be at home one night. There is something medicinal about being home. There is something recuperative and uh, it re there's something that re resurrects you just by being home. I'll tell you, when the boys were little, I'd get home. They'd run, grab me, and they'd tell me about all their days. But anyway... David, I'm sure he felt that way. Been off on a battle campaign. Comes in weary, coming to Ziglag. And there he is. He's going to come in. And I'm sure he expected his wives to meet him, the family to meet him. And here's what he did. He turns the corner to Ziglag. There's no Ziglag left. The enemies come in. They burnt the homes to rubble. They've captured the children, the wives, all the fortune. Everything they've loved and longed for is gone and devastated. What to do when you don't know what to do. This is one of the... It's, this is one of the most horrible stories, I think, in the Bible. It, it's, it's just, it's, it's terrible. They've come back to Ziglag. Ziglag's burned with fire. The wives and the daughters, everybody being carried captive. Verse 4. Now, these are the elite of the elite. 
These are the strongest soldiers you can find. These are the Navy SEALs, the Ranger, Army Rangers, the Marine Corps. These are the roughest of the rough. David's men. Look at verse 4. It says, David and his mighty men fell to the ground and they wept and cried till no sound would come from their throat. These are not sissy, prissy men. These are the warriors of the warriors. But what they faced is so devastating. What they see, their family, their fortune, everything they've longed for and loved, gone, decimated. He said they fell to the ground. They cried, screamed, beat their fist into the dust till no sound would come from their throat. Wow. Wow. It doesn't seem like it could get any worse. But then it says, verse 5, David's men, because of the tragedy and trauma of their heart, picked up stones ready to stone David. David had done nothing but been loyal to those men. Nothing but brave commander for them. But because of the agony of their heart. So you don't have to be in a pastoral ministry very long to find out. People that get wounded, they can't fight at God, but they can fight at leadership. Pick up stones to stone David. I don't know about you, but if there's ever a place to give up, that would have been it. He's led those men faithfully. He's been with them in campaign after campaign. Now they're ready to stone him. And here's what it says. Now, if there was a time to give up, I suggest that to have been in. Just pull life in. I'm through with this. I've tried it. It don't work. There's no balance to it. I'm through with it. What to do when you don't feel like doing nothing? The next verse is paramount. It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now, you can't always have a prayer team somewhere. You can't always call a prayer partner. You better learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. I'll tell you about it. I thank God tonight. He did give us seven steps. We'd be in legalism before morning. It doesn't tell us what David did. It's just that he encouraged himself and the Lord is God. I can give you some strong suggestions. I suggest he did what he wrote about. I will lift up my eyes. Psalms 121 verse 1. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord which made the heavens and the earth. I believe he did that. I believe he did when he wrote, I'll offer the sacrifice of praise. Why is it a sacrifice? When you feel like doing it the least is when you need to do it the most. Don't you know it was something for him to throw his hands up and say, Oh, Lord, I worship you. You're the light of my life. Everything's devastated, but he offered the sacrifice of praise. Then not only did he encourage himself in the Lord, he inquired of the Lord. He called for the priest, and he inquired of the Lord. He asked God some straight questions. Shall I pursue Shall I overtake and shall I recover? God is not one bit afraid of our strong questions. God answered him in a deeper way than he even asked. He said, yes, you shall pursue, you shall overtake, and you shall recover it all. More than he asked for. God always does that. He does exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. So David encouraged himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord, asked God straight questions, and he got strategy. On, and he pursued the enemy. See, we got to encourage ourselves. We got to inquire of the Lord, and then we got to engage the enemy. God refers to us as saints, sons, and soldiers. We love the saints and the son, but we shun the soldier. We got to be good soldiers of the Lord. Now, our weapons are not carnal; they're mighty, aren't they? They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We got to learn how to be strong warriors. Don't you think so? The most repetitive name in the Bible for God is what? Lord of armies. Lord of hosts. 
most repetitive name given to God in the Bible is Lord of Hosts. That ought to tell us there's a war on. Don't you think? Ah, uh, sure. Well, been kind of long. Plane leaves after a while. But aren't you glad that God can change circumstances? I love that, don't you? I'm glad one day can change the whole deal. I'm glad God can give us courage to be what he wants us to be no matter what. So I like that. A lot of stuff we could talk about. I'm tired of talking. Here's what God wants to do. He wants to impart an anointing to you. You say, well, you know, I don't know if I need it. Well, you need it. Not one single miracle recorded in the New Testament that Jesus did until he received the Holy Ghost. Not one. Not one single miracle recorded in the New Testament that Jesus did until he received the Holy Ghost. Acts 10.38 says something. What was it? God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. You can't divorce those two, Holy Ghost and power. Every time you find in the New Testament, Holy Ghost, look a few verses, you'll find power. You can't have power without the Holy Ghost, and you can't have Holy Ghost without power. So Jesus, Jesus really, really depended on Holy Ghost. He says, he says it in John 16, 13. He said, you know, let me read that to you. We'll read this, and we're going to pray, okay? That's okay, Bobby. Good. We're not, we're not, we're not in any rush. John 16, verse 13. Listen, listen to what it says. I'm headed this way. John 16, verse 13. Listen to what Jesus said about the Holy Ghost, verse 13. But when he comes, the spirit of truth, the truth-giving spirit comes, he will guide you in all the truth, the whole truth, the full truth. He will not speak his own message on his own authority, but he will tell you whatever he hears from the Father. He will give the message that has been given to him, and he will announce and declare to you the things that are to come that will happen in the future. Wow. Holy Ghost will tell us the future. You don't have to look in the paper for some horoscope or some psychic. You'll get a demon from that. You can get direction from the Holy Ghost. Here's a great verse about direction, Nehemiah 9.20. He gave his good spirit to instruct us. Don't you want guidance by the Holy Ghost? You say, well, Bobby, how, how do I follow him? You listen to his voice. John 10.3 says, my sheep hear my voice. John 10.27 says, they flee other voices. They draw near to God's voice. People ask me, they go, well, how can I, how can I intensify and amplify the voice of God? You want it? Intimacy. Intimacy. I used to think if God had something really important to say to me, Pastor, he'd get me by the shoulder and go, Bobby! It's right the opposite. He said, if I have to shout at you, it's a sign of your immaturity. He said, you ought to be so close to me, I can guide you with my eye. Have you ever watched a parent guide Junior with their eye? Little Junior starts after something, and Mom goes, <coughs> Junior goes, woo. What, what's that a sign of prior instruction? Mom and Junior's had a talk about that. So we need intimacy to hear the voice of God clearly. Here's what he told me. He said, it's a, it's a sign of your immaturity if I have to shout at you. Then here's something else he told me. He said, I shout my truths, but I whisper my secrets. God shouts his truths. Any of us can get them. The book's full of them. But few of us will get his secrets. How do we get his secrets? Number one, does God have secrets? Yes, he does. Here's your verse about his secrets. You want it? Deuteronomy 29, 29. He said, the secret things belong unto God, but the things that are revealed belong unto us and to our descendants from now on. That's what it says. The secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong unto us and our descendants from now on. I want to know what God's put on the table for us, don't you? The secrets belong to us. How do we ascertain the secrets of God? You become his best friend. 
John 15, 15, I don't call you a servant, but a friend. Aren't you glad? It was a friend of the bridegroom that knew the timing of the wedding. Remember the story? See, that's right, Bob. Is that right? See, good. What kind of shirt? That's not a Dallas Cowboys shirt. Oh, man. Oh, man. Cowboys. I'll tell you. I used to really, really love it when, Don, when old Tom Landry was a coach. Tom Landry preached to the guys and he instilled integrity. Things went south quick when Switzer showed up. Uh, he'd pray one minute, cuss the next, you know. Double-minded persons unstable in all their ways, you know. But I don't. But there may be on a comeback this year, you know. Maybe. Yeah. You doing okay? What's your name? Lydia? That's in the Bible. You don't sell purple, do you? Talks about royalty. I bet that's what you need to feel that you're royal. That's what the, that's what it talks about, Lydia. I'm telling you, had a good reputation in the community too. So I believe that's good for you. I'll just release that on you. Royalty. He said, "Here's your verse. You ready? Yeah, Bobby. It's Revelations one five and six. Unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins in his blood, and has made us to be kings and priests. That's about as royal as you can get." Old Testament couldn't enjoy that, but you can. Priest couldn't be a king. The king couldn't be a priest. But in the New Testament, we're in a new living covenant. Isn't that cool? That's pretty good. So royal. Uh, I'm telling you, you get Psalms 92, 10 through 16. Full of sap in your old age. Fruitful, steadfast. You ought to read it. You want me to read it for you? Well, there's no sense in getting to where you are. Well, I'm too old now. You never get too old. God sometimes will linger just to see if you'll hold on. Look at Abraham and Sarah. Whoa! That's a makeover I've ever seen it. Nearly a hundred and he had to lie about her because she's so pretty. Trying, trying to keep the dudes off of her. Isn't that crazy? Poor old Sarah. Bless her heart. Had a makeover. Let me read that Psalms 92.10. You want it? Yes. Go with me and then I'm through. Psalms 92.10. Well, I think I'm through. I may not be. Psalms 92.10. In the King James. Listen, this is why you need to read it in the translation that says something. The King James, Psalms 92.10 says, My horn will be exalted like the horn of a unicorn. Good. That don't do nothing for me. Now watch this. Watch this. This is the amplified, the classic amplified, verse 10. But my horn, the emblem of excessive strength and stately grace, you have exalted like that of a wild ox. I'm anointed with fresh oil. My eyes looked upon those who lie and wait for me. My ears are open. Verse 12. The uncompromising righteous shall flourish like the palm trees. Be long-lived, stately, upright, useful, and fruitful. They shall grow like the cedars of Lebanon, majestic, stable, and durable, and incorruptible. Verse 13. Planted in the house of the Lord. They shall flourish in the courts of our God. Growing in grace, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap, of spiritual vitality, and rich in the virtue and trust and love and con con uh, the commandments of God. They are living memorials to be showed the Lord is upright and faithful to His promises. Stable and full of sap. That's the verse you get. Isn't that good? I like that wild ox deal. I used to ride bulls in the rodeo. Woo! You ever been on a bull? Yeah! I used to ride bulls in the rodeo, got 
hit in the head with a bull and it knocked me out and I heard Conway Twitty singing. <laughs> Riding bulls be better. You ever ride, if you ride a bull, you get on him like this and you, you get on him and he's under you and he's snorting, snots rolling out and he's, <laughs> he's heaving and you're pretty excited yourself. There's some idiot there at the gate and he goes, you ready? You go, yeah. I'm here to tell you, you ain't ready. You throw that gate on, I'm telling you, it is something, man. Whew. That's what happened. I used to ride those things in the rodeo. I wouldn't let my boys do it, but it's got knocked out. Oh, it's awful. I woke up once, boy, it was awful. My, my mom had run out in the bull ring. I'm unconscious. She's drugged me over and going, he's dead. You know, I mean, you're supposed to be, you're not supposed to be a mama's boy riding bulls, you know. But just, just to be honest, I was glad to see mama. You know what I mean? That's I was glad they drugged me out of there. But anyway, I grew up rough, man. Good Lord. It's a miracle we're here. Me and my brother used to sit in the backyard and shoot cigarettes out of one another's mouth with a twenty-two rifle. My mom would come to the door, swing the door open, and holler, Hey, you boys quit wasting them shells. They cost money. Didn't say a thing about shooting Glenn in the mouth or Bobby in the nose. My dad died in a mental institution from a venereal disease, so my mom couldn't, she couldn't deal with us. We were, I never knew my dad, uh, uh, but anyway, me and my brother, we grew up big, and so my mother, she was small, and she'd try to correct us, try to whip us, so we'd pick her up, turn her upside down, and pitch her back and forth. <laughs> she'd cream, scream and kick, and then we'd set her down, bend over, and let her whip us just so her blood pressure would go down. Yeah. God, raised her, God resurrected my mama from the dead twice. That's not bad for a Southern Baptist, is it? That's pretty wild. But I grew up really rough. My brother, he was uh, something else. He, he was a real boxer and was very, very... He could whip me with his fist anytime. I've shot him, hit him in the head with hammers, knifed him. I stuck a hammer head in my brother's head. Yeah. This is true. We were supposed to be building a, a porch for my mother. And so my brother's a year older than me and he... he I, you know, I might have lipped off. You know, you know, like, there's... It could be. I could have been bad mouthing. And he swung me around his left hand, swung me around, fixed and hit me in the head with the left. And I thought, Good God, I got a hammer. I went, Wham! And I hit him right here. And listen, this is what the doctor said. It stuck the hammer head in his head. Now, get the vision. There my brother is. He's laying on the ground. He's bluer than blue. And the hammer head is sticking out of his head just like that. My mama opens the door. She screams, I said, shut up. I know that. You know, but it didn't kill him. Here's what the doctor said. No, the doctor said it. Doctor said if you'd hit him there, it would kill him. If you hit him there, it would kill him. You, it was a miracle. I hit him in the only place. It wouldn't kill him. There's a hole in your head there, your sinus cavity, and that's where the hammerhead went. Now, I'm not a forensic scientist. I didn't know that, but look, it hit him right in the head there. Yeah. Now, he, he had a big old Thank God for that. Yeah, we're down to showing scars now. Fighting, he's trying to stick me in the chest, and I flung it, and uh, it cut that thing right here. And every time my heart beat, it spewed blood up the top of my mother's ceiling, like to bled to death. Nobody had sense enough to tourniquet, you know, <laughs> apply pressure, drop and roll. We just sit there and let Bobby bleed out, you know. I got some stories you couldn't start to believe, Liddy. I fell on a saw and cut all my guts out. Yuck! Yeah? Fell on a saw, you might ask. No, yeah, yeah. 
My uncle, you know, the sauce that you cut down trees with, shung, shung, shung. My uncle had put it in a vise to sharpen it on a table outside of my grandmother's backyard. So I'm a big old boy. And back then, Tarzan, remember Tarzan? I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run, jump on the table, grab a limb and swing like Tarzan. I ran. I grabbed the limb. I swung like that just in time for the limb to break. I, full, I fell full throttle across a sharp saw in a vise and cut all my guts out. <laughs> they fell out. I was beside myself. Hey! All my guts fell on the ground. You've ever gutted a deer just like that? My grandmother, they had chickens in the yard, so there's chicken poop. There's feathers. There's leaves. There's trash all in my gut pile. My grandfather, he wasn't a medic. He, was a, he plowed a, a mule named Shorty. So my grandfather ran over there, and he pulled the flap, my stomach, pulled the flap on, picked up my guts, and he didn't say, this looks like a spleen. He just packed them in there. Chicken feathers, chicken crap, everything, right inside me. So help me, God. So help me, God. Packed me full of my guts again. Just stuck them in there. Picked me up. Carried me in there into my grandmother's kitchen. Set me down in the floor. Now, it's about to get bad. He walked over there. They cured meat with salt back then. Remember that? He goes to the salt bin, pulls. He's got a scoop of salt. Walks over there, pulls the flap. Say this with me. Invigorating. He poured my guts full of salt. It's about to get really bad. They cooked with kerosene. You know what kerosene is? He goes over there to the kerosene bin, picks a, a coffee cup, turns it up, gets a coffee can full of kerosene, walks back to the flap. That's when the whole ceiling turned purple, fell down like that and spun. I went unconscious, passed out because of the pain. Okay, you might say, where was your mama? Well, mom had been on a Greyhound bus to go get my blind cousin at the Austin State School for the Blind. You might go, well, how was she blinded? Oh, her mother went insane, shot her through the head with a 38 caliber Smith and Weston and blinded her. So she's in the Austin State School for the Blind. Then her, her mother put the gun in her mouth, shot her head off, and left two kids in the back seat. A death spirit jumped on them. Both of them died before they were 14 years old. So my mama was off getting my blind cousin. That's when I had my adventure getting cut in two. All my guts, they, so they, I passed out when the kerosene hit me. So I wake up in bed, my grandfather's bed, tied together with bed sheets. Now, the doctors there, they made house calls in. Believe it or not, this is Texas, rural Texas. And the doctor was named Dr. Henderson. Y'all know him? <laughs> Wore his glasses down like that. Here's what I was awakened to. That ain't a good word. That's Dr. Henderson talking to my mother going, we're not going to sew him up. We're just going to leave him open and let him drain. We don't think he's going to make it. That's the me they're talking about laying in bed. No surgery, no suturing. Tied me together with bed sheets. We're going to leave him open and let him drain. We don't think he's going to make it. Guess what? I made it. Never had one suture. I told that story out in California. A guy looked like he's trying to stop a cab in New York. I said, you going to say something? He said, yes. He said, I'm a leading gastrologist surgeon. Could I examine you? I said, come on, bud, knock yourself out. Maybe two or 3,000 people there. So we get up here on the platform. I didn't want them to take my shirt off in front of everybody. It looked like Free Willy or something, you know. <laughs> so they had some curtains back here. So I get behind the curtains with this uh, uh, 
gastrologist surgeon. Take my shirt off. Pull it up. And there's the scars and all this thing. And he goes nuts. Oh, oh, oh. This is impossible. You've got to come to my office. I've got to document this for you. I said, document it? I don't need no documentation. I was there. You know what I mean? But, but anyway, he's saying it's impossible for these muscles to grow back without being sutured a certain way. But I had nothing except kerosene and rock salt. Later on, the doctor said, that's what saved me. Because, see, chicken crap and feathers, you know, that's not, you know, compatible. But that's the way it was. Now, that's how I grew up. How'd you grow up? How did you grow up? Very poor? Very poor? Oh, we support. Listen, it was pitiful. Honestly, God, it was, it, it's something. The house I grew up in was so cold, my mother's false teeth froze in the cup one night. That's how cold it was. Really? It was it's crazy. We, we, my dad was dead. My mom was a widow. Remember that? Had three kids. It was pretty wild. But listen, it, it's amazing. You can't imagine the things I got into. Listen, oh, man. But here's, here's I'm living proof. If God will use me, you've got a shot. Do you understand that? That's really true. Yeah, that's right. Paul Key said there's angels up there going, tag me out. I've been with Bobby too long, you know. But here, here's the deal, really. I'm 73 years old. I've, I've been preaching 47 years. I've averaged speaking five times a week for 47 years. That's a lot of yakking, isn't it? But I'm telling you, honest to God, every day I get stacks of invitations from around the world. Every day, this thick. That, you know what? People are hungry for reality. They're sick and tired of the polished, just mundane, pleasing kind of... We need raw, real power. God wants to give you raw, real power tonight. He wants you to be lay, lay hands on the sick and see them get well. The same anointing that rested in Jesus Christ is in you. That's what it says. There's verses that says... He says, it, it, this, so if you believe in Jesus, these works that he does, you'll do also, only greater. Wow. I want, you, I, want, I want you to put your hand out like this. Say this with me. Wow. wow. There's nobody like me. There's nobody like me. That's exactly right. You're 7.6 billion people on this planet, and there's only one you. If you don't do what God created you to do, something God wanted done will be undone. What we need now is a rededication of our life to the cause of Christ. Where we go out and say, God, I'm not my own. I'm yours. I'm going to fulfill your will for my life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 126, brethren, that's us, you see your calling. I don't believe very many Christians see their calling. But I'm telling you, you're called to be a history maker. You're called to change the culture we're in. America has the greatest opportunity we've had in a long time. To turn things around. The whole world is looking at us. I'll give you a verse if you want it. I'll just pitch it up and let it come down on you. Isaiah 50 verse 4. Isaiah 50 verse 4. Jesus talking. He says, I will give you the tongue of a taught one. That you'll know how to reply and respond to the people that ask you. How do we navigate dark, dangerous days? The tongue of a taught one. Don't you want it? I want it. When people go, what do we do? We have the wisdom of God. We have the strategies of God. I'll tell you what God will release on you. First Kings 10, that kind of anointing. The Queen of Sheba came to Solomon to test him, trick him with hard, arduous questions. And the Spirit of God, through Solomon, answered every question. And the Queen of Sheba, political leaders, left breathless. You believe God's about to do that? Yeah. He's about to put such anointing on the church, they'll beat a path to our door. Because we'll be the only ones with the answer. 
That's the truth. We're going to walk in first John in John one and James one five. If any of us need wisdom, let us ask God and He'll give it to us lavishly. Well, what do you do? Tell me about yourself. Uh, what do I do? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I work for my with my dad <laughs> and um I don't know. Both of my boys work for us. My oldest one's fifty one, the other one's forty five. Oh man, they work for me. They something. What do your dad do? Uh, he's a forklift operator. Forklift operator, yeah. I I ran a forklift one time for a company. I tore the well anyway. <laughs> we 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 tied the governor off of it and we have drag races with it. You can't hardly turn them over, but you can, you know. You, you ever turn one over? No. Be careful. Really, you, we tied the governor off on them, and, you know, they run faster than they're supposed to. You could flip the wheel, and they did, and then, you know, but it's kind of, I got all kind of stories, you know, but they're, they're all true. Don't lie in church. But God wants you to tell people about Jesus. It'll be easy for you. They'll run up and ask you questions about it. Remember, the Bible says, be ready to give an answer to every person who asks you the hope that this is what's going to happen. Isn't this, how old are you now? 20, that's good. I got a grandson your age. Well, put your whole heart into the things of God, okay? Yeah, it's true. That's true. Don't know, is it Dolphin? Is that? Oh, man. Where's Blue? There's a, she, she's got a blue phone. We, it's, we can make it. Yeah. Yes. Say that with more reverence. She said, Cowboy. Yeah, listen. No, <laughs> listen. That's right. That's right. That's right. See, so these guys are smarter than you think. I want to pray for you, okay? Y'all want to be prayed for? Bible said the effectual favorite prayer of a righteous person gets the job done. I'll pray for you that God will answer your prayers. I'll give you a verse, 2 Corinthians 6 2. Now is an acceptable time, a time of an assured welcome from God, a time God will hear you and help you. Things you couldn't get, you can get now. Things that are inaccessible, you can get now. Because we've moved into 2 Corinthians 6 2, a time of His favor. It's a time of an assured welcome from God. Wow. It's, Isaiah, it's Paul quoting Isaiah 49, verse 8. An acceptable time. Say acceptable. It means a time of God's provision. Here's your great verse about God's provision Deuteronomy 32 13. God caused him to siphon honey from the rock. That's a fabulous verse. Some of the hardest situations, if you put out a little effort and lean into it, can bring out the sweetest nectar of God. Deuteronomy 32, 13. He caused him to siphon honey from the rock. Wow. Hard situations can bring great nectar from God. Deuteronomy 32, 13. I like verses nobody ever preaches out of, don't you? Here's one. Here's one. You poured me out like milk, but you curdled me like cheese. Good God. <laughs> Listen. I don't care who's been here. You're not going to find a whole series on that. <laughs> you poured me out like milk, but you've curdled me like cheese. That's Job 10.10. 10. What does it mean? It means you went from a splatter to a matter. It, it means you went from a liquid to a solid. It means you got a body for a purpose. We got a physical body for the same purpose Jesus Christ got a physical body, to make an invisible God known. Colossians 1.15 says Christ is the express image of the invisible God. Then he said, as my father sent me, I'm sending you. Listen, he gave us a body. The next verse of that, Job 10.10 10 says he put skin and bone upon us. Poured me out like milk, liquid, and curdled me like cheese, a solid. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Isn't that, yeah, yeah. Isn't that something? I like verses like that, don't you? Yeah. 
Here's another one. It says if your axe is dull, you have to swing harder. What in the world does that mean? If your axe is dull, you have to put out more effort. If you're trying to do it in the flesh, it just don't work. Here's another verse. You ready? I bet you've never heard about it. It says, the bed's too short and the cover's too narrow to get any rest like this. That's a verse in the Bible. The bed's too short and the cover's too narrow. It'd be like if I decided I was going to spend the night on this pulpit and cover up with this handkerchief. That's a verse in the Bible. The bed's too short, the cover's too narrow to get any rest like this. It's people attempting to get themselves right with God without God. That's what it is. Isn't that crazy? You can't find rest like that. Well, I've talked a long time. I want to pray for you. And I, God told me, say, go where I go. Go where I tell you. Do what I tell you. Do. I'll give them an uh, impartation out of Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. That says, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the everlasting, never failing covenant, make you perfect. Give you everything you need to accomplish the task you're set to do. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. I said, God, how can I promise them they'll get it if they want it or not? He said, you can get around somebody contagious and you can be infected. So you're going to get an impartation out of Romans 1, 11. Romans 1, 11 says, I yearn to be with you that I might impart to you a charisma gift that will equip you for the task you've been assigned to do. Verse 12 said, it'll be good for both of us. It'll be mutually beneficial for both of us. Don't you want it? I do. So you want it? I just release it to you. I just release it to you. Here's what, I'll give you a verse. The Lord told me, he said, smear this verse on all my people. Here it is. Psalms 115, verse 14, 15. He said, smear it. That means anoint them. Smear this verse on all my people. Psalms 115, verse 14 and 15. May the Lord increase you more and more. You and your entire family. May you be blessed to the God that made the heavens and the earth. That's Psalms 115, verse 14 15. May the Lord increase you more and more. You and your entire family. May you be blessed to the God that made the heavens and the earth. We are looking at verse 16, the next verse. The heavens of heavens, that belongs to God, but this earth is our responsibility. Wow. Our responsibility. Psalms 115, verse 16. The heavens of heavens, that belongs to Jesus Christ, but the earth, He's put in our hands. That's our responsibility. So we better forge the future right, hadn't we? Wow. We don't want to squander what we've got. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Listen, guys. We dodged the bullet on the election. You can say what you want to. I'm telling you, God don't care one thing about Democrat or Republican. He cares about issues and hearts. So, guys, I'm telling you, we got an opportunity now. First thing that's going to happen is going to be a reconciliation between the United States and Israel. The reason we've got so much calamity is we've distanced ourselves from Israel. God said, I'll curse those that curse her. I'll bless those that bless her. And the first call... Uh, Donald Trump made after the election was to Benjamin Netanyahu. That's a great step in the right direction. You say, oh, everybody talks about Israel. Listen, I'm telling you that's the whole center of this thing. It's a cup of trembling to the whole world, isn't it? Yes, it is. But our job is to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, isn't it? Well, anyway, y'all are good. It's a great welcoming. There's a good, good spirit in here. You know that, don't you? You know what I was sitting there? You know what I felt? I kept hearing hunger. You're hungry. Hungry for the word of God and the ways of God. And I'll tell you what, God will pour water upon him that is thirsty. He'll meet the hunger. 
You're, you're in Psalms 42, verse 1. As a little desert deer pants after the water broke, so pants my soul after thee, O God. If we're hungry and desperate for God, he'll fill us. Aren't you glad? Yeah. He'll fill your families too. Yeah. I really mean that. I'll meet you at the book table, but let's pray for sick people. You want to? Anybody here is sick enough to get prayer? See, people get sick enough to go to the hospital. Anybody here is sick enough to get prayer? If you're sick enough to get prayer, come down here and line up, and I'll pray for you. Now, this is not for anointing. This is for sick people. So if you're, if you're sick enough to get prayer, come line up here, and we believe that Jesus Christ will heal you. Yep, say to heal them all. That's good. Come on, line up. It'll be okay. Now, this is for people that are sick. Just come on and line up. It'll be good. Pastor, he's got some prayer teams. He can bring them too. But listen, here's what the Bible said. The Bible said if any two of us on earth would agree, we'll get what we're asking. Here's your great verse about asking. John 16, verse 24. John 16, verse 24 says, Up until this point of time you've not asked. Ask now, and you'll get what you're asking so that your heart will be happy. There you go. John 16, 24. Up until now, you've not asked. Ask now, and you'll receive what you're asking so that your joy will be full. John 16, 24. There you go. This is nice, isn't it? I don't know how they do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty. I, th- I like little things like that. So let's go through there here and just find out. Now, y'all are, should be up here because something's wrong with you. 2,000 years ago, our Savior strung himself up on a tree. The Bible said what he did on that tree purchased our salvation and our healing. Same sacrifice that it took to save us is the sacrifice it took to heal us. By his stripes we are healed. Psalms 103 verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Don't forget all of his benefits. He forgives all our iniquities and heals what? All of our sickness. I mean, he wants you totally well. Some people say, well, maybe the devil, maybe God gave me this. No, God doesn't give people sickness. He doesn't do that. He gets glory out of your healing. So I'm going to come back and just pray for you and agree with you that you'll be healed. I don't care if it's cancer. I don't care what it is. We've seen God heal AIDS. We've seen him raise the dead. Genesis 18, 14 says, is anything too difficult for God? By that verse, I took a pen and marked in my Bible, Luke 1, 37. Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Luke 1, 37 says, with men, things are impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. So we'll start here and pray for you, okay? Good? Good. Is that okay with you? This thing may squeal, but it'll be all right. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. I grieve for healing for this brother in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I thank you. What you're going to do, you're going to draw fashions, okay? Yes, you will. God bless you. God bless you. Mm. Good. Good. Lord, I thank you totally well, totally well. Lord, we thank you. You said you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. So, Lord, let your healing balm cover this man. Make him totally well for your glory, Jesus. We thank you, Father. Fresh new start. Healing, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're wonderful. Thank you. Heal this babe. Heal this girl. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You want us well. Do you believe he wants us well? He does absolutely well. We thank you. Lord, we thank you. Pull your healing oil here, Lord. 
we thank you. Oh, I can feel that. Thank you, Lord, for your healing, all the wonderful heat. God bless you. Lord, I thank you. You paid for a healing. Heal this man. We'll give you glory for all that you do, Jesus. You're a good, good God. A good, good God. Ooh, I hear him saying he's going to make your bones wax fat. That's a verse in the Bible. That's a great verse. That's for the healing for the blood. Makes your bones wax fat. Lord, I thank you. Bless this girl, Lord. Thank you for her. Thank you. Let your healing healing hand touch your heart and your life. You're a good, good God. Tell him he's good. Oh, he's good. Oh, Lord, you are good. And you do good. Aren't you glad he's good? He's a good God. you believe that? He's a good God. We thank you, Father. I heard Philippians 1, 6. He that's begun a good work in you will continue it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Good. Lord, you're wonderful. Touch this man, Lord Jesus. You know, every fiber of his body, every thought in his mind, you're a good God. You're a good, good God. One of the verses that's fantastic said we can call him Daddy, Abba. Father, I thank you that you're a good, good Father. Bless this man. Touch his life and his body in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Here, catch this. God bless you. Say more. More. Pour out your healing oil for her. Pour out healing for her in Jesus' name. God bless you. Strong. Lord, strong. You touched a paraplegic and he jumped up and he walked. Lord, you're the same tonight right here in this church. So I bind a crippling spirit, bind any kind of immo- being immobile, bind arthritis and things, tendonitis, all of those things, Lord. Lord, make her body strong and mobile, lucid where it can move about, pain-free. We give you glory, Jesus. Thank you for mobility. Good. 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 God, I believe you do. Good. Catch this. Here, put fire on this lady. Fire on her. Fire helps, don't it? Yes, it does. I'm sure it does. Yeah. I I like fire, don't you? I like holy fire. So okay, good. You want to pray for the scale? Good. Hold these hands out, okay? Good. Breathe him in. Good. Here. Lord, I want to thank you. I thank you for a fresh start. We thank you for a fresh start, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your mercy. You're a good, good God. We trust you. Tell him, say, I trust you. Oh, yeah. He's trustworthy, isn't he? He's trustworthy. You want to meet him as friend here? Lord, I thank you. Oh, I can feel that. I don't want a God you can't feel. Do you? No. no. Let's see this rag. Here. Here we go. This will be, I'll just use it for a swab cloth. It'll be a, in the Bible. It said they took off the body of Paul, aprons and handkerchiefs or anything that touched his skin. That's what it says. Acts 19. And they sent it out to the sick and the sick got well. We've seen dead people raised with healing cloths. If he did it then, he does it now. So, uh, listen. Here, catch this, okay? That'll be good for you. You ready? And then you can put it on somebody if you like. This will be good. Here, here, just take that. (laughs) See? Stuff went to flying. I like that, don't you? Yeah. 
I don't want a God you can't feel. Come here. Come here. You don't mind this, do you? Come over here. Tell me your name you told Pastor. Tanya. Tanya? God bless you. Can I run my hand behind your head? Can I run my hand behind your head? You can trust a guy like me. Good. You say, what does that do? It breaks off every spoken word curse and every ancestral curse. That's what it does. Isn't that something? You've been wanting to fly around in the spirit. Lord, I want to thank you. Remember it says Philip was caught away. Paul was caught up. He said, I was caught up in the third heaven, saw things that was not even lawful to be uttered. And I'm telling you what, you're going to get an invitation from God you can't turn down. You get Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I heard a voice which said, come up here. And he said, I looked and there was a door standing open in heaven. Isn't that something? You want to go there? Sure. Lord, I thank you for a door standing open in heaven. And I heard a voice which said, come up here. Wow. That's an invitation we need, isn't it? That's right. That's right. Here's another one. What took you so long? I don't know. That's one of the things. The Bible talks about making haste. You know, but that's good. It said, so I'm glad you're here now. Oh, well, good. Let's curse the diagnosis. You want to? I do. I want to. Okay, Father, I thank you that the doctors don't have the last word. When they say this and that, your word says something else. Your word says, no evil will I put upon you. No sickness will I put upon you. So, Lord, that's what we believe. We believe that you'll take sickness away from us. You said you'll bless our bread and our water and you'll take sickness away. So we believe that, God. So we just stand believing that you will issue a new report. Say new report. New report. That's right. New report. A new report. I like new reports. Yeah. They brought a young woman in there and she had a brain tumor inside of her head. And they said if we operate on her, she'll be a vegetable if she don't die. Two little kids and a husband. And I said, Lord, what word do you have for Paulette? He said, look at her and say, don't worry about anything. God will take care of everything. I said, God, wait a minute. That sounds really generic for a young mother with two kids facing being paralyzed or being dead. He said, if you tell her anything else, it won't be me. I said, Paulette, God says, don't worry about anything. God will take care of everything. They carried her to Tyler, Texas, shaved her head, put a zero on, uh, looked like a scope of a rifle. And they ran her, and the doctor said, we can't do this here. We're going to have to put you on a helicopter and fly you to Dallas. Put her on a helicopter, flew her from Tyler, Texas to Dallas, Texas. They put her on a machine that pulls you through a, ton, a little thing to find the very core of this thing. And so they ran her through that, and the doctor said, this machine's malfunctioned. Put her on this other one. Put her on this other one, and the thing was totally gone. Totally gone. But the, the hospital bill had already got up to $72,000. A helicopter ride, two trips through a tunnel. $72,000. They're a poor family. He's a bulldozer operator. But the problem, the thing was, don't worry about anything. I'll take care of everything. $72,000 is a lot of money. And the doctor came in the next morning, pulled up the piece of paper on the end of the bed on a metal sheet and wrote, paid in full, tore it off and handed it to her. She walked out of the hospital debt free. Don't worry about anything. God will take care of everything. And he's the same God tonight. He's the same God. He, he had the audacity to name himself the God that's more than you'll ever have need of. El Shaddai. The God that does for us what we're incapable of doing for ourselves. Catch this, okay? Here, just catch it. Man, there we go. See, that's good for you. 
You say, what does that do? It, it's, just, it's just wonderful. Jesus grabbed him and blew on him and said, receive the Holy Ghost. He, John 20, 20 and 21, he breathed upon them. And then he says something that's almost unheard of. Who's ever sinned, you remit or remitted. Who's ever you retained, they're retained. Wow. Say authority. Authority. Isn't that something? Yeah. That's right. I heard snap, crackle, and pop. That, that's a good thing. That's what I heard for her. Snap, crackle, and pop. So that's what will happen to her muscles and her tendons. They'll snap, crackle, and pop right back in shape, and they'll be strong. That's the way to do. Go to work. See your strong. You can pick up people. Well, you got to get out of here. I'm headed to the book table. Bring that book. I'll sign it for you, okay? Now, I like this girl. What's your name? Arlene. Arlene. What do you do, Arlene? Take a guess. You'll get it right. <laughs> what do you do? What do I do? I work uh, <laughs> at the. What? The presence coming from you is so strong. Oh, okay, I work. Um, I work best work industries for the poor. I'll tell you what God wants to do. He wants to join you in your labor. That's 2 Corinthians 6 1. Laboring together with God as God's fellow workers. That is something that God would team up with us. 2 Corinthians 6, 1. Laboring together with God as God's fellow workers. Wow. This is the most crucial time in human history. Look who God's let live. I said, what are you thinking? My question was, what are you thinking? Most crucial time in human history. Why have you chosen us? He said, yes, I finally found me a people weak enough to work in. Not weak in morals, not weak in ethics, not weak in character, but weak in our own ability. He said, I finally found me a people that embraced John 15, 5. Without him, we can't do nothing. But with him, we can do all things. Hope you all will pray for us. This week, we go to Dallas and do a meeting. And then after Dallas, we go to Dubai and do till January 9th or whatever it is. From We'll be in Dubai. Then we go to, oh, maybe Jakarta, Indonesia, and then to uh, Taiwan somewhere, China. So we're all over the place. You know how that is. But we're here now. What a time. divine appointment. I'm glad. I had fun. I'll meet the guys at the book table. Is that okay? Yeah, amen. Praise God. Let's just thank the Lord for uh, the ministry of the Word and the ministry of the Spirit. We appreciate your obedience too, Bobby. Uh, I'm glad you're saved. How many are glad Bobby's saved? Amen. amen. Yeah. Dear Lord. And listen, we've heard other stories. Can you bring this mic up, Ryan? The uh, other, I uh, hope you, Thank I'm Jesus. just confident that you are blessed. There is a scripture that uh, coming, came to my spirit today with Bobby and, and just the way the Lord flows in the word of God and in the move of the spirit. And in, in Colossians, it says, may the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And I believe that that's part of what God would, is the impartation for us. The word of God will dwell, the word of Christ will dwell in our hearts richly in all wisdom. Because listen, God wants us to be the answer. Christ in us, the hope of glory, being the answer, having the answers, having solutions for a lost and, uh, and hopeless, yeah. more hopeless world. But yeah. the, the sad part is many people in the church are hopeless. Amen. And listen, and Bobby was commenting about the election. Uh, it, like he said, God's not democratic or 
Republican. He's theocratic. But this is, this is his choice. So you need to align yourself with the will of God. You know, you know it's coming. <clears throat> Can you bring it up a little more? Yeah, right? maybe you could turn that down just a little. Yeah. I, it, I, I, I feel like the Lord just wanted me just to, just to encourage all of us. This is including myself, you know, because I'm part. I'm a member. How about you guys? Member of the body of Christ. But um, we have something that God has given to us right now. Yeah. And I watched what happened, and many of us have watched this. And when 9-11 happened, 9-1-1, we all thought, man, the churches are going to be filled. At least that's what they were saying. Maybe it was denominational churches. I don't know. But I know a lot of pastors whose churches weren't filled. And we had an opportunity to do something with it, but we didn't. And right now, it's, it's God's doing. Whether I, like, you know, I love you all, and I know you love me, because love, love has to abandon in the love. church. Amen. Okay? But God put Trump in office. Oh, yeah. He absolutely did. Here's the thing. When, before he, the election, the Lord spoke to us and said this to us. He said, I am putting the responsibility of keeping him covered in prayer through Donald Trump's presidency. So let me ask you this. Are you just looking for Donald Trump to do all the stuff? I believe God's looking to the church. He's looking to the church. For the church to rise up, not be divided, not start, not getting divided, but for the church to become one and start praying like we should pray. Amen. Amen. I'm looking for a harvest of souls. I'm looking for such an opportunity that God is giving us for to go out and to evangelize and start sharing Jesus with other people. The simple gospel of Jesus Christ and let signs and wonders and demonstrations follow that word. Amen. And the other thing that the Lord showed me was this, and this is what he said. Bottom line is this. He said, I'm doing all of this for Israel. Bottom line. Yeah. So, you know, you guys are just wonderful, beautiful people. And the eye of God is on every one of you individually. Like like that. Whether you're sleeping, snoring, whatever you do, you snore? I snore. I, I started snoring. I guess I hit that, you know, that wonderful... I got her on tape. And, I, I and it's this. like this, but God's going like this. I didn't twit it or anything. And you know, it's like this. It's like he's breathing the purposes that he has for me for the next morning, the next day. Because when I wake up, I kiss his mercy. And so that mercy is there for us. For what? To release that to others, to carry it out, to do whatever God has for us to do. It's the mercy of God. And it's the mercy of God right now on America. It really is. So let's seize the opportunity, all of us. You guys are so blessed. Every one of you are so blessed. And you know what? Just you guys being here and look around at each other. Look how blessed you are and look at the one next to you and what a blessing they are. I mean, the body of Christ has to start falling in love with each other. Come on. Yeah. You know, and start encouraging one another. And that's what it's all about. 
And you know what? If we walk out of here and can walk out in the spirit of love and the spirit of unity, taking the word of God and everything that was shared with us tonight Mm -hmm. and the power of God, there's power in his love. There really is. There really is. And so if we release that, wow. Amen. Can you imagine the, 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 the miracles, the, the results, healings, the results the of all that and what it's going to Please happen. stand. Amen. Yeah. We just thank God for you. Your blessing. My uncle, pray. Yeah. Father, we just bless you tonight. Come on, let's Take just thank him. Take your neighbor's hand yeah. if you can. Yeah. Let's thank the if Father If your hand's stuck, okay, somebody take their shoulder. <laughs> Father, we give you praise and we give you If you, you don't honor. have a hand, we'll pray for you. Yeah, well, we, you can pray. But if you don't have a hand, we'll <laughs> pray for you to get talking. one, okay? I know. I just feel kind of drunk. Well, good. Give me the <laughs> mic then. Hallelujah. I know how to handle it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your glory and for your anointing. If you don't have a toe, God can grow the toe. He's done that. Come on, guys. He's done it. Yes, he, yes. And he did it at the book table. Yeah, if you need your your yeah. something that that is, yeah, is going to be fused or something, God will put it together. He will. I'm telling you, God will do this. Amen. He will. Well, come on. I, yeah, I'm going to pray now. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your grace and your anointing and your mercy. <laughs> we give you praise and we thank you for everything you've done tonight for the glory of your presence. Did you ever raise the dead? Did you ever raise the dead? Yes, was used in it. Yeah. Did you ever see the dead raised? These signs shall follow those that believe. Come on. Can you see it in your heart? Can you see it in your spirit mind? The dead being raised. Can you give substance to what you're seeing? Because the substance is in his glory. Jesus. And in his glory, that's where his presence is, where we become so intimate. Can you see it? Church, I'm saying something. And, and I know Bobby's back there waiting, but I want to release this over you. Come on, Carol. I want to release a greater and, and, and you expectancy know, for listen, miracles. the expectancy for miracles. But there is something bound up in the body of Christ that we cannot see in the spirit, in the spirit of our mind. We cannot see these miracles. We can't see the dead being raised. We can't see arms growing out. We can't see organs being placed in, body parts being placed in. um, And you know what? It takes your mind, the imagination of your mind to see it happen. See it. Surrender it to the Lord. So, Father, we release yeah, this on. right now, a greater church. seeing right now in the mm. spirit, Lord, a greater seeing in their, yes. the, in the spirit of their mind right now mm. in the name of Jesus, Lord. Let them see the miraculous. Yes, Father. Let them see these body True parts. Innocent. Let them see them raising the dead. Let in them the see life coming into those dead bodies in Jesus' mighty name. Wow. Yes. 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 And Father, we thank you for your angels that are being released into this, Lord. The activation of your angels, Lord God, in all of this, too, Lord. In Jesus' name, carrying those body parts. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. See it. Don't be afraid of seeing in your mind. Mm -hmm. Do not be afraid. And then obey it. Don't be afraid of that. See it, obey it. Amen. Amen. I'm done. Praise God. That's the Holy Ghost, guys. 
We bless you, those of you who are watching. In Jesus' name, give hell a headache and release the kingdom.